Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley, and I, along with our entire team, are so excited about this month's podcast episode as well as next month's episode because Carol Tomei is in the studio with me to talk about corporate purpose. Carol, thank you so much for being here. Andy, it's just a delight. Thank you for inviting me to join you today. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, For the handful of you who don't know who Carol is, she is the chief executive officer of UPS, the UPS, that's right. Um, She's actually the 12th CEO in their 114-year history. So I'd average this out. So that's about a nine and a half year tenure. Mm. I guess that's about all anybody can Take it that level of leadership. I don't know. I think that's probably right. Anyway, before joining UPS, Carol served as the executive vice president and chief financial officer of the Home Depot, one of the world's largest retailers and another Atlanta-based company. She joined Home Depot in 1995 as vice president and treasurer. And honestly, Carol, when I was reading through all your accomplishments, I thought we might have to do an intermission in the middle of your resume. Oh my. It's it's so amazing. And I know you don't care about any of this. Anyway, Carol began her career as a commercial lender with United Bank of Denver, which is actually now Wells Fargo, and then spent several years as director of banking for Johns Mansfield Corporation. And then prior to coming to Home Depot, she was a vice president and treasurer of Riverwood International Corporation. And in case you're wondering, she's not 114 years old, (laughs) although you might think she is, because how in the world did you accomplish all that unless you started it? 12 years old? Oh, I was about 12. That's 12 years old when you began (laughs) um, your corporate journey. Now, the primary reason I wanted to have Carol on the podcast, and we're going to get to this a little bit later, is that, Carol, when you got to UPS, um, right out of the chute, from what I understand, you decided to do the unthinkable and to begin messing with corporate documents and specifically to change the corporate mission statement or purpose statement of UPS. So I can't imagine a more bold decision coming in. So I'm looking forward to us talking about that. But all of that related basically to your passion and really conviction as it relates to corporate purpose. So that's where I'd love for us to jump into this conversation. So how have your views, because you've been in multiple corporate environments, how have your views on the role of corporation and purpose evolved over time? Because like I need to tell you this, traditionally shareholders are the primary focus. Um, Clearly that has changed in multiple industries. And what do you make of this shift towards purpose? And what, in terms of your journey, kind of focused your attention on that as corporations shift in that direction, but away from some of the more traditional things? Yeah, Andy, it's really been a journey for me. I went to college in the late 70s and early 80s, and I was a student of Milton Friedman. If you know him, he won a Nobel Peace Prize in 1976 for economics and the purpose of the corporation. And he was convinced that the purpose of the corporation is to create value for share owners. And so that's what I studied, and that's what I believed. And early in my career, that's what I did. I was all about deals and making money and creating value for share owners. And as you mentioned in the introduction, I've done a lot of different things in my career. But when I landed at Home Depot, things started to change for me because I was extraordinarily fortunate to work for the founders of Home Depot, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank. And Bernie said something early days in my career there that really hit home. He said, you know, Carol, if we take care of the associates, they'll take care of the customers and the stock price will take care of itself. So you flip the script a little bit, right? flipped the script. And I'm like, huh. You know, I'm like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm buying that yet or not. A little squishy. A little squishy. Uh, But as time progressed, I started to 
to believe. And then fast forward to the um, the financial crisis of the mid-2000s when I was now CFO of Home Depot working for Frank Blake, someone I know you know. I think he's been on this podcast. Yep. One of our um, favorites. One of, yeah, he's such a wonderful leader. And it was a terrible time for us. It was a, not only a financial crisis, but it was a housing crisis. And Home Depot felt it. They lost $13 billion of revenue in one year, 25% of their top line. That's like wiping off a company like Bed Bath & Beyond off the face of the planet. Mm. And we had to make some really hard decisions, exit businesses, close stores. But we also decided that even though it was the depth of the uh, recession, we were going to invest in our people. We were going to continue to pay uh, merit increases to the hourly associates who were working in our stores, pay 401k contributions, uh, success sharing bonus programs to these associates. Because we thought if we invested in them, when the economy turned around and we knew it would one day, they would be there to take care of the customers. And was that an easy, I mean, I mean, I, you know, you're compressing a lot of conversations at multiple levels. But because of the culture at Home Depot, did it already lean in that direction? We doubled down. We doubled down because we had to make some really hard decisions. We were closing stores at the same time we were investing in our people. But we mm. knew it was the right thing to do. And when the economy turned around, well, it proved to be true. We saw ourselves uh, gaining share, producing unbelievable financial results. And in my tenure as CFO, we did a lot of other things, but in my, you know, we gave back to the communities through volunteer hours. We purchased uh, timber from sustainable forests. We did a lot of things to take care of the needs of the stakeholders. And in my tenure as CFO, we saw a 450% increase in share owner value. Wow. So I'm like, this is sort of proof positive to me. <laughs> this may work. <laughs> this works. You take care of your people, you take care of your communities. You do right by the earth and the share owners are paid. Wow. So in terms of confirming your suspicions, to see that actually play out in an actual company where there was so much at stake at a very difficult time, not only in the history of the company, the life of the company, but in the economy overall. I mean, that's sort of the proof of the proof. theory, right? It's proof. So you, you stepped into your current role in June of 2020. Yes. A wonderful time to step in. In fact, when I first heard this, I thought, did she lose a bet? I mean, <laughs> let's I, just for our podcast audience, could we pause for just a moment and think about June of, June 2020. of 2020? Okay. Um, a pandemic, worldwide pandemic, economic shutdown and meltdown, not just in this country, but all over the world. In a year, we're about to elect a new president. Yes. It was the worst possible time to step into this role. So again, I think that's so important for our audience as we move forward with this story to just remember the context that you stepped into. Again, I just thought she must have lost a bet. So anyway, immediately you began thinking in terms of purpose. I mean, there, there were so many other things to be thinking about and yet you carried this value so near and dear, it was still top line for you even with all that turmoil. Talk just a little bit about that. Yeah, well, maybe I'll just take you to that that June 1st day when I took the role as CEO. Um, I had put together a video that we were gonna show around the world. You know, we deliver packages in 220 countries and territories around the world. And we have 543,000 people around the world. So I wanted to talk to them and I didn't know how I could do it in the midst of a pandemic. I thought, well, I can do it through a video. So I'd put together a video and it was a pumped up positive, you know, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna have some fun. June, 2020. Yeah, just, you know, I was really, <laughs> really positive. 
And then the weekend before that video was to roll, there was the George Floyd killing. Mm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I can't run this video. I can't run this video. I was so saddened and I was just ashamed and I was heartbroken and I was mad. You know, every emotion was flowing through my body. So I sat down at my kitchen table and I wrote a note about how I felt. And I said, run this note before we run the video. So we ran the note and it was really about turning my anger into action by living our values and creating an environment at UPS where people could feel safe in a world where you don't feel so safe. Mm. You know, safe from a COVID, so to make sure that you had all the protective gear that you needed, be it masks and sanitizers and, and gloves and that sort of thing. Safe from what's happening outside, you know, with all the social unrest come into our family, you can feel safe here. So that started this purpose discussion because I wanted our people to be safe Mm. and to set an example for the rest of the world that there was no place for hate in the world. And then it moved into, well, what's our real purpose? You know, I wanted our people to feel safe, but what's our real purpose as a company? We knew what we did. Uh, We deliver 2% of the world's GDP every day. 6% of the GDP here in the United States is rolling across a UPS vehicle every day. We knew what we did, but we hadn't declared why, why we did it. And this eventually led to you or a team, I'd love to know how that worked, crafting this what I think is an extraordinary purpose statement. And I told you that for, in fact, one of the things I skipped over is that we actually met. We did. At a Zoom meeting on steroids. There were, I don't know, 250 people from all over the world at this conference. It was a bit intimidating, honestly, for me to walk into. But this was essentially where you unveiled this new purpose statement. I'd love to know a little bit how it happened. Whenever you begin messing with corporate language Mm. and corporate documents, it's messy. It's a little bit scary. The people who've been there for a while are like, wait a minute. This is not only how we've always done it. This is our language. And yet you felt this was the time to do this. Can you talk just a little bit about the process? And can I go ahead and just read this statement? Yeah, please do. I didn't ask your permission, but I love this. Uh, Moving our world forward by delivering what matters. Moving our world forward by delivering what matters. I thought it's simple and it's beautiful. It's it's just perfect. How did you get to that? Well, you know, Andy, I'm the first outside CEO that UPS has had. Now I had been on the board for a long time. So maybe I was an outside inside person, but I was still the first outside. So I'm like, boy, the only way this is gonna work is to hold on to our values. The values that were instilled in our company by Jim Casey, who was the founder of UPS now 114 years ago. So we started with that as the base. And then we put together a cross-functional team of UPSers and we said, we challenge you, we challenge you to come back and define our purpose. So they did a masterful job of talking to UPSers, uh, retirees, customers, communities, suppliers. They, They went around the world talking to people and they iterated and iterated and iterated until we landed on this. And when they unveiled it, we were all like, yes. You just know, don't you? You just know. Yeah. You just know. Yeah. And it's been a real rallying cry for our team ever since we unveiled it now over a year ago. Well, Carol, one of the, and we've talked about this on our podcast before, one of the dangerous things about purpose as opposed to just mission, um, the end game for the purpose of a thing is never the thing. In other words, the purpose of the drill isn't the drill, it's the hole. The purpose of the broom isn't the broom, it's the, you know, the clean floor, we could go on and on. So when a company begins talking about purpose, 
there's a sense in which the company takes a back seat to something bigger and greater than the company. That's, that's the nature of purpose. A purpose insinuates that something is going to become a means to an end rather than the end. In fact, that's what being meaningful means. I'm going to be a means to an end. So before I jump into some specifics, apparently you were fine with positioning UPS as a means to an end that was not UPS. For many organizational leaders, this scares them to death because of the bottom line, and as we talked about earlier, because of shareholders. I mean, shareholders don't care if you have a purpose or not, right? They just, they just look at spreadsheets and numbers. So talk a little bit about positioning a company with an end that's greater than the company. Yeah, again, because of my experience at Home Depot, I was convinced that if you take care of the needs of the stakeholders, the shareholder will be taken care of at the end of the day. And I can make that real for you um, with a couple of examples. And you talked to us about this when you addressed our leadership a year ago. You said it's going to come with a cost. Purpose comes with a cost. And at the time, I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how I can make that really real for us. Well, shortly after we unveiled our purpose statement, we were looking at a product that we deliver. We were delivering vapes, you know, those Mm -hmm. cigarettes that are not good. We were delivering them, and we were making about $200 million a year on the revenue line by delivering those vapes. And we looked at ourselves and said, this isn't aligned with our purpose, so we stopped delivering. That's $200 million of revenue. They said, we're not going to take. It was still the right thing to do for the share owner. Right. Because people who are dying, who because they're using vapes, they'll be alive and can Was that an easy decision? You know, it turned out to be a super easy decision. We made it as a team, but it turned out to be a super easy decision. Another example of this is um, from a sustainability perspective. You know, we fly almost 600 aircraft every day. We have 125,000 vehicles on the road. In fact, in the United States, we travel 3.4 billion miles a year. That's billion with the B. So as you can appreciate, we emit a lot of greenhouse gas. Mm. We are greenhouse gas gas hogs, over 35 million metric tons. From a shareholder perspective, it might have been easy to say, well, we'll just wait for someone to figure that out. Yep. We know it's Or somebody a- else to go first, right? Yeah, exactly. We don't want to lead on this aircraft. We don't want to, no. But as a team, we said, nope, the right thing to do for the world is to actually declare that by 2050, we will be carbon neutral. So we made that declaration mm. this year. That's going to come with a cost. Yep. But it's part of our purpose, right? Moving our world forward by delivering what matters, delivering a sustainable delivery solution matters. Yeah. One of the things, again, that regardless of the size of the organization, you don't really know if you're on purpose until it costs you. Right. Wouldn't you say that? I mean, if the vape decision was the first one, it's like, oh, are we really on purpose? Or was that just a really great statement to unveil? And in that moment, you discovered and your leadership team discovered, oh, we're on purpose. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's incredible. Now, again, because of the scope of UPS, you're about to take away a lot of excuses for a lot of organizations when you answer this next question. Um, because one of the things that we all wrestle with or should wrestle with is the alignment between company culture and purpose. If the culture and the purpose aren't in alignment, generally the culture wins out in the end and the purpose was just something we talk about. 
So how did defining purpose at UPS affect the culture? Because it has to affect the culture. And again, more than 540,000 employees and associates around the world. Of course, there wasn't immediate change just because you unveiled a new purpose statement. But how has that been communicated out? And how is that beginning, I guess, is the fair question, to impact the actual culture of UPS? Because again, if there's not alignment between purpose and culture, then ultimately we're not as purposeful as we set out to be. So when I joined the company, I said, do we measure associate satisfaction? Yes, yes we do. I said, how? Well, we have an associate satisfaction survey that we take every so often and we roll up the results into a likelihood to recommend score. I'm like, okay, great. Um, what's our score? And I was told it's 51%. I'm like, 51%? 51% of our UPSers would recommend us as a place to work to their friends or family. That means that 49% of our UPSs would not. What's the root cause? And you seem to be the only one concerned with <laughs> My that, right? My hair was yeah. on fire. I'm like, what's the root cause? So um, they gave me, I'm early, early in the company, they gave me a 160-page document to take home to read. So I took it home, I sat down at my kitchen table, and the way I like to read things is I open it up in the middle. And if it's interesting in the middle, then I'll go back to the beginning. So I open it up to the middle, and I'm reading out loud. And I'm reading out loud verbatim, comments from UPSers that were showing how our behaviors were not aligned with our values. And my husband, I'm reading aloud, he's like, what are you reading? I'm like, this is what I just walked into. We have an opportunity here because our behaviors are not aligned with our values. So what do we do about it? Defining purpose was part of that, to say, this is what we stand for. And these are the values that the company was started with. We've got to align our behaviors against both values and purpose. So we started by training everybody. Hello. You know, we said, let's go train our management teams. So we went out and trained everybody. And then we started holding people accountable. How about that? So if the behaviors didn't match the values, even if the performance, even if the numbers were being delivered, mm -hmm. you know, if you look at a scorecard and the scorecard is all green, but if the behaviors didn't match the, the values, we started to move. And I will tell you, we just took another associate satisfaction survey, and the score is now 61%. Wow. Now, that's not where we want to be. Yeah, we, but when you think about how large yeah. UPS is, that's that's extraordinary. We're moving it, yeah. but we want we declared we want to get it to 80. 80% 80 would be best in class. So we're on a journey. We've got a ways to go, but I was, I'm pleased that we're moving in the and right And this direction. is a really, really important piece of this conversation. You interjected a new word in, in, in your answer, and that was the word behaviors. Because again, it's, you know, every company has values. Yes. Values are relevant. It's what people do. It's the behaviors that matter. So did you create or was there a list of or how did you talk about behaviors in terms of making sure there was consistency? Yeah, the, the, we, through the, the training, we actually role modeled behaviors, uh, behaviors that were in line with our values mm -hmm. and behaviors that weren't. And then we talked about it. And it wasn't just the, the UPS leadership team. I mean, the executives went through the training. This was five-hour training. I'm like, we're not giving this training to anybody until I go through it. because so I want to I participate in it, right? And it was really, really helpful, actually, because you, you understand some unconscious biases that you don't even know about behaviors, right? right? You just don't even know you have them. So I think it was really helpful. And, you know, there's no, there's no end game here. We have to constantly constantly invest in this yep. and talk about it and, and so, get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. So in a relatively short amount of time, then the purpose statement measured against internal satisfaction or internal perception of consistency 
that's significant change in a pretty mm. short amount of time, especially again, when we go back and think about when did this begin? Oh yeah, summer of 2020. Yeah. I mean, how in the world as a organizational leader, did you give yourself permission in the middle of a triple crisis to even focus on these issues. This is the kind of thing it's like, hey, once we get through this, then we'll deal with the squishy stuff. Then we'll talk about purpose. But you just knew intuitively, no, this is where we need to begin in spite of where we are. You know, before I took the job at UPS, I had retired. I have a farm in North Georgia. I was at my farm doing a lot of gardening, doing a lot of reading. I was on a number of corporate boards and my husband and I had created a foundation. And so when I was called back, I'm like, well, why would I even come? Why would I come back? I'm retired. I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. almost, I'm almost 65 years old. I'm like, I'm, why would I come back? And I, I'm like, okay, there are a few reasons why I would come back. And one was to make a difference with the people. You know, I love to develop people. I'm like, this is, this is an opportunity of a lifetime to make a difference on the people. One was to really look into, I knew there was a purpose opportunity at UPS that was missing. I'd been on the board for a while. I'm like, I could grab it. Another one was to um, actually make the stock price move, candidly. Because I'm like, if we do this, this, and that, the share price can move because it hadn't moved for six years. Wow. So all those reasons for coming back to pull me out of retirement back into to the company, then I was like, I'm going. I am not. didn't come back just to sit. I came back to, to move. That's fantastic. Well, next month, we're actually going to talk about your passion around leadership oh, development. Yeah. But to wrap this up, I just think this is fascinating. And if you can talk about this, obviously, UPS is on the front lines of vaccine delivery. Yes. In fact, from what I understand, UPS is on pace to deliver a bill. Is this true? A billion, one billion COVID-19 vaccines by the end of this year? Yes. A billion. Yes. Can you take us behind the scenes a little bit? I mean, I think people just, you know, assume all this stuff gets moved around. I mean, I know, you know, everybody has to make money, eat and live indoors. We talk about that. But jumping into or taking a significant role in the rollout of the vaccine, I mean, that's historic. That's epic. That's a, for such a time as this. Talk a little bit about that. That's amazing. Well, thank you. We're so proud to be part of this um, moment, uh, delivering vaccines. But we've been in the healthcare logistics business for 15 years. So we've been delivering vaccines for a long time. Think about smallpox vaccines or flu vaccines. But the COVID uh, vaccines are very different, aren't they? Because many of them have to be refrigerated. Especially early on. Early on. Yeah. And it's a complicated supply chain. So I'll take you through how it how the products flow, because I think it's pretty cool. If you go back a year ago when Pfizer received the FDA approval, we were so excited because we were going to deliver that for Pfizer. So we pulled up a one of those tractor trailers, those 18-wheeler tractor trailers up to their manufacturing plant in the Midwest. And the vaccines were loaded on to that tractor trailer. We drove the tractor trailer to a local airport and the vaccines were loaded onto a brown tail, one of our aircraft. We flew that aircraft to Louisville, Kentucky, which is our, our largest air hub in our network. The vaccines were unloaded off of aircraft. They were processed with the dry ice and special labels that have batteries inside of the label so that we never ever lose track of that package. That's amazing. Because we have control towers that we stand up to watch the package. From Worldport, the vaccines were now loaded onto feeder aircraft and flown to their final destination. Let's say it was Dallas. They got off the plane in Dallas. They were loaded onto a brown package car, just like the package car that comes to your house, I hope, to deliver packages to you. And they were delivered to the dosing organization. We do this every day within 20 hours window at 99.9% effectiveness. Wow. Yeah, it's. I'm so proud of our team. Now the special label with the, the chip. Yes. Was, was this 
part of something that UPS developed? Or? Oh, yes. It's a product we call UPS Premier. So it's a special label that we created. And I'm really excited because we're going to take that technology and it won't be as specialized as what we use for vaccines, but we're going to put RFID chips on all of our packages so that we will never lose a package in our network. How cool is that? Wow. I know. I'm excited about that. We call it Smart Package. Wow. We're going to wrap up the first part of this conversation, but I'd love to close with this. Um, I mean, you, your business experience is broad. That The people you've met are amazing. And that would be an interesting conversation. The most fascinating people you've met, the most obnoxious people. Anyway, <laughs> um, you've, you've been there and done that. And then you're retired yeah. and, then, and you're on the farm and you get, you get the call. But anyway, so as you reflect on all of that, global challenges, again, you know, Folks like me, we watch the news. You have been on the front line at so many levels, especially, again, June 2020 forward. Challenges with environment, um, COVID, social justice, all this sort of things. What, what do you anticipate from the business community in general in the months ahead? I mean, how do you see business as being you know, uniquely suited to address some of these enormous challenges we face? And the reason I would love for you to take a shot at this question is because the average person like me we feel like the answer, unfortunately, sits with politicians. Mm -hmm. It's like, when are they yeah. going to figure this out for us? And, you know, which way do we lean so things will go well? But in reality, business has so much not only to do, but to say in terms of addressing some of these global issues. So from where you sit, how does business intersect and what are the opportunities and how, again, do you just see that melding of both political influence and the influence of international businesses like UPS? Yeah, I, I think what you're seeing is that more and more business leaders are filling the void that we thought government would fill. And perhaps that's the right thing because we're pretty good at process. You know, I can make this real for you. When COVID exploded in India earlier this year, we needed to get ventilators into India. And you know who did that? The business community. We just came together. There are a number of CEOs who said, we can do this. I can fly ventilators in. Can you make them for me? We just came together. We didn't wait for governments to come together to solve that problem. We just solved it. And I th we, we understand process. We can mobilize. We have people and we have resources. And we don't have to go through all the bureaucratic red tape. So I'm, I think we're going to fill more and more of the void. And we've got to be comfortable doing that. I didn't think that's the role we were going to play. But now I do, and I'm okay with it. That's amazing. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this month. But fortunately, you said you'll come back for next month's well. episode. So I'm super excited about all that. And to all of our listeners, we want to thank you for joining us. And make sure you check out the andystanley.com website where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide that includes a summary of this discussion along with questions and reflection for your entire leadership team. And be sure to join us next month as we will continue our conversation about a topic that Carol is so passionate about, leadership development. We'll be right here and we will see you next time on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast.